The Writings of Isaac Pennington, Volume 2, Chapter 4, The Naked Truth, Given Forth by Way of Question and Answer. Question. What does this light do inwardly in the hearts of those that receive it, believe in it, and give up to it? Answer. It does all that is required to be done, from the souls coming out of spiritual Egypt into the land of rest, and all that is needful for its growth and preservation there. First, it enlightens. It shows what is evil and also what is good, according to the measure and proportion of it and according to God's causing it to shine in the heart. It discovers the mystery of darkness, the mystery of ungodliness, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of deceit and all its mysterious workings. For nothing is hid from the light of him with whom we have to do. And it also discovers the mystery of godliness, the mystery of holiness, the pure way and commandment of life, and gives all true believers the experience that his commandment is life everlasting. There is nothing that the heart desires to know of God that this light does not make manifest in due season. It opens the very mystery of the scriptures, gives the right understanding and application of the promises, and fulfills its prophecies in the heart. Secondly, it does not only manifest the good and evil, but likewise inclines the mind to choose the good and refuse the evil. It draws away from the evil and towards the good. Yes, and the soul is made willing in the day of him who is light and who appears in the light and reveals his power there. There is a way, a highway, spoken of in Isaiah 35, 8, called the way of holiness, which the unclean can neither discern nor pass over. But the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, the measure of grace and truth wherewith he enlightens men, so manifests and leads into this way, that they that are taught and guided by him shall walk therein and not err. Thirdly, it scatters the darkness and breaks the power of the enemy, making the soul one with him who is all power and who gives it abundantly. Indeed, power is given to the children of the light to become sons in the light. Power is given to become kings and priests to God. Power is given to reign in the dominion of his life, in the dominion of his truth, over sin, over death, over deceit, and to offer up the holy living sacrifices to God. What shall I say? The light is one with Christ. It is of his heavenly spirit and nature. It makes way for him. It leads to him. It fills with him. It brings into unity and fellowship both with the Father and the Son where the peace which passes understanding and the joy unspeakable and full of glory abound. This is the gospel message, that God is light. And they that are gathered into and abide in this light are gathered into and abide in unity and fellowship, both with the Father and the Son. David had great sense and great experience of this light of God's Holy Spirit, and of his truth sent forth, manifested, and revealed in his inward parts, as is signified in Psalm 51, six, 
and again in that vehement prayer of his in Psalm 43, 3. Oh, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto your holy hill and to your tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of joy, unto God the gladness of my joy. Yes, upon the harp will I praise you, O God, my God. Indeed, when the light shines and the truth springs up in the heart, it leads to him that is true. It leads to the holy hill and mountain of the Lord. Indeed, it leads to the inward altar, where those who serve and worship at the outward altar have no right to eat. And here the harp is known, upon which the Most High is praised, even the inward harp, whereof David's outward harp was but a figure. Therefore, they that come to the holy hill of God, to the mountain of the Lord's house, and to that holy building which was raised up, invite and encourage others to walk in that light which led them there, where communion with God and oneness with each other and the blessing of life and peace are enjoyed. Isaiah 2.5 But what should I speak of the sufficiency of the light and grace of the Spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ, or of what is it able to do? I shall only say this, that as the fullness was enough for Christ, to fit him for the work which he had to do, so the measure of grace and truth which he bestows is enough for every man. My grace is sufficient for you, said God to Paul, and so it is for every man. There is no lack of sufficiency in the grace of God, in the seed of the kingdom, in the pearl of great price, in the holy leaven, in the heavenly salt. Truly, the virtue and strength of it is greater than the enemy is able to withstand. And he that keeps to it and departs not from it shall feel life and power springing up from it to quicken him and carry him through all that God requires of him. For the water which Christ gives is a well springing up in him to whom it is given unto eternal life. This water is able to wash, able to nourish, able to fill the soul with living virtue, who waits for it and partakes of it. And all the nations of them that are saved are to walk in the light of God's Spirit. To this light men are to be turned. Unto this they are to be gathered. Into this they are to be translated, even from the kingdom of darkness, into the sun's marvelous light. And being changed by it into its nature, they become light in the Lord, and ought to walk in the light, as God is in the light. 1 John 1, seven. Question. How does the mind come to be enlightened, and the candle of the Lord come to be set up in the soul? Answer. By God's causing it to shine there, and the mind's being turned to it, and giving up to be exercised by it. The power of the Lord reaches to his pure seed of life and light in the heart, in the seasons of his good pleasure, and as the mind is then turned to it, it becomes sensible of it, and willing to let it in, and become one with it, suffering with it and bearing its cross. The seed then comes to grow there, and its light, which was hid and overwhelmed under the earth, under the earthly wisdom, will, knowledge, desires, etc., comes to shine there. Yes, 
then the life comes to be quickened more and more, and the holy leaven spreads more and more. And this sensible plant of God's renown, being thus cherished, and being not afterwards grieved, despised, quenched, or hurt, by the giving way to and letting in of that which is contrary to it, it shoots up into a kingdom of righteousness. Indeed, it grows into a tree of righteousness, under the shadow of which the soul sits down in peace and rest, and is defended and nourished with that which is pure and living, and full of the pure sap and virtue. So it becomes strong in the Lord, and in the power of his might, against the power and strength of darkness. Now all men may experience this, at first in some low measure and degree, and afterwards more and more, as they come to feel after and have a sense of that which is of God, and come to join and give up to it. For then it will be working against and purging out all that is of a contrary nature, and it will overspread the heart with its own nature. Thus the seed, which was the least, will become the greatest, and that which was the lowest of all, and indeed trampled underfoot, will rise up into dominion and power over all, and bring all under, so that the lofty city, the lofty building of fleshly wisdom, and of sin and iniquity in the heart, will be laid low, and the feet of the seed shall tread it down. Question. How is the light or candle of the Lord diminished, and at length extinguished or put out in some? How does this come about? Answer. By their neglecting, despising, quenching it, by hearkening and giving way to the contrary spirit in its motions and temptations. For just as the good spirit, when let in, stops and works out the evil, so too when evil is let in, it stops and works out the good. So the Philistine nature, when given way to, stops up the inward well which Jacob had dug and opened. There is a time when life is a mystery, a fountain sealed, and there is a time when God unseals the fountain and opens the mystery in the heart. Oh, then great care must be had. The soul must lie very low in the pure fear that it may continue in his goodness and walk worthy of his love, and so that the fountain may be kept open, and the pure springs of the holy land flow, and not be sealed and shut up again. For there are some that rebel against the light, and they dwell in a dry land. There were some that did always resist and vex God's spirit, and the Lord's spirit ceased striving with them, and gave them up to a reprobate sense and judgment concerning the things of God. There are some that do not improve God's good talent, and from them that which was once given is taken away. Yes, the candle of the wicked shall one time or other be put out, and they shall be silent in darkness, and their mouths stopped from having anything to say against God, His truth, and His people forevermore. Therefore, all men must take heed that they be not careless with the grace of God, or despise the day of their visitation by the holy light of God's Spirit. For if God takes away the talent, or if God puts out the inward candle, who can light it again? Oh, how did poor David, the man after God's own heart, 
suffer by letting the enemy's temptations in upon him. Cast me not away from your presence, he said, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Indeed, he did lose his condition at the present, and here he speaks as a man in danger of being quite undone. But afterwards he came to comfort and assurance that God would restore to him the joy of his salvation, and light his candle, and enlighten his darkness again. I am not unaware of the doubts and disputes that are in men's mind about the testimony which we give, from certain knowledge and true experience, concerning the light wherewith God enlightens souls. At first, when the testimony first came forth, most would not acknowledge such a thing as a light from God in men which convinced of and reproved for sin. And now, though there are many who will assent to that, they still cannot believe it to be a measure of the grace and truth which comes by Jesus Christ, and that in it the sufficiency and power of God is revealed against the strength and power of Satan. But let such seriously consider the following. First, who they are that have testified and do testify of this light. They are persons who generally have been deeply exercised in religion, persons who have read the scriptures very diligently, with much praying and waiting upon God for the true, certain, and clear understanding of them. They are persons who, many of them, have had experience of most, if not all, separate persuasions and denominations, but could never meet with the answer of the cry of their souls, nor with satisfaction to that birth which breathed in them after the Lord night and day. Secondly, consider what their testimony is, which is manifold, such as, first, that they were by the Lord, even by His Holy Spirit and the shining and springing of His precious seed in them, turned to this light and shown it to be of God. Secondly, that in turning to it, they met with the presence, appearance, and power of the Lord working in their hearts. Thirdly, that it did not only discover sin to them, but also powerfully did resist it, fight against it, and bring it under, which no light and power besides the light and power of God's Spirit can do. Fourthly, that the life of the Son is manifested and revealed in it, and there they come to truly see and taste and handle the word of eternal life. Fifthly, that in this light they come to witness cleansing by the blood of the Lamb and the everlasting covenant made with them, even the sure mercies of David, and the holy precious promises fulfilled in them, whereby they are made partakers of the divine nature and come to witness an entrance into the holy city and drink of the streams of the pure crystal river which refreshes and makes glad the city of God. Lastly, not to mention more, the Lord has shown them how this same light had been formerly with them, even in the days of their former religious profession, and how God had worked by it in them in former times, though they then did not know it. But now, they see that whatever ability they then had to understand anything of God aright, or to pray unto Him, or reap any true benefit from scriptures, was through the stirring of this light in them, whereby God, even then in some measure, enlightened and quickened their minds. Thirdly, again, consider whether the light of Christ's Spirit, 
or the grace and truth which comes by Jesus Christ, has not this property of discovering, convincing, and reproving for sin. Doubtless, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and even the lowest ministration of it, is of that nature that it discovers and fights against the law of sin and death, wherever it finds it. And consider whether the Comforter, the Holy Spirit of truth, who leads out of all error and falsehood, and into all truth, is not also to be known by this, even by his convincing the world of sin, and inwardly reproving for sin, as well as by his comforting of the saints in their holy travels out of sin, and battles against sin. Fourthly, consider whether anything can convince of sin besides the light of God's Holy Spirit shining in the heart. There may be an outward declaration of sin by the outward law, but it never reaches the heart and conscience except by the shining of the inward light. No, it cannot so much as reach to the understanding except as God opens the heart and brings home the conviction by his light and power. This we have experience of in the Jews, who though the prophets came with certain evidence and demonstration from God's Spirit, yet they were not thereby convinced, but stood against them, and justified themselves against the voice and word of the Lord. Indeed, their eyes were closed, their ears shut, and their hearts were hardened, as may be read in Jeremiah chapter 2 and divers other places. And there is no wickedness so great that a hardened man will not plead for it and defend and justify himself in it. Yes, and even if God opens men's understandings in some measure, so that they cannot help but confess certain things to be evil in general, such as pride, covetousness, drunkenness, riotousness, lying, swearing, etc., yet often they still cannot see or acknowledge these things to be in themselves. Rather, they produce all sorts of covers and excuses to hide behind, unless the inward light and spirit of the Lord searches their hearts and makes these things manifest to them. Fifthly, consider the weight of the following two scriptures, and do not form for yourself another meaning, and so put off the meaning and intent of God's Holy Spirit in them. The first is that of the Apostle, in Ephesians five thirteen and 14. He writes, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever does make manifest is light. Wherefore he says, Awake you that sleep, etc. Every man is bid to awake, because every man has some proportion of that gift in him which, if hearkened to, will reprove, rouse up, and awaken him, and lead him out from among the dead unto him who gives the light and causes it to shine in him. The other scripture is that of Galatians 5.17, where the apostle speaks of the flesh lusting against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and that these two are contrary. Did not God's spirit strive with the old world? Read Genesis 6.3 not only with the sons of God who had corrupted themselves, but with the rest also. And what is it that has striven with wicked men since, and that does strive with wicked men still? Is it not the same good spirit? What is it also that inwardly resists and lusts against the will and strivings of God's spirit? 
Is it not the flesh? So here are the two seeds, which are contrary to one another, near to man. For there is man, the creature, which rightfully belongs to the Lord, into whom the destroyer has gained entrance, and in whom he rules by the law of sin and death. Now he who made man seeks after him, and finds his enemy in man, and gives forth a law against him inwardly in the heart. And so far as any man gives ear to, believes and receives it, there arises presently a fight and striving between these two contrary seeds in him, so that this man cannot do the things that he desires. Now, that which thus strives against sin in any man, and troubles him because of sin, reproving and condemning him for it, that is of another nature than the flesh, which harbors sin, and is contrary to it. Sixthly, consider the great love of God to mankind, and the great care he has of them. First, with regard to their bodies. How does he provide for the bodies of all mankind? He desires to have none hurt, none destroyed, but rather feeds all, nourishes all, making plentiful provision and giving fruitful seasons. He causes his sun to shine and his rain to descend on all. Then, as to their souls, he knows the preciousness of a soul and what the loss of a soul is. Yes, he knows how eager the devourer is to destroy, and so sets himself against him. He is the father of spirits, and his son the shepherd and bishop of souls, whose nature it is to gather and save. And it is said expressly about God, by the testimony of the Spirit of truth, that he desires all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And though it was said to the Jews that God was a potter and they as clay, and that he could make them vessels either of honor or dishonor at his pleasure. Jeremiah 18.6 Yet this was said to this end, even to invite and encourage them to be subject to him, that they may be made vessels of honor by him, as appears in verse 11. Now consider, if God be as tender with respect to souls as he is the bodies of men, does he not make provision for the soul as well as for the body? Would he not desire the soul to live? And would he not desire the soul to be fed as well as the body? If so, then surely the light of his Holy Spirit does shine inwardly throughout the nations, and the saving grace and power is manifest everywhere, even in the heart, in some measure. And surely the flesh and blood of the Son of God, which is the soul's food, is offered to all. For truly, the Lord is not a hard master to any, as the unprofitable servant in every dispensation is ready to account of him. For God winked at, or passed over, the times of ignorance and darkness, being very tender towards man in this state. Indeed, if man turns to and heeds even a little that is of him, according to the measure of understanding that God gives, it will be owned and accepted even in the midst of a great deal of darkness and evil working against it. Oh, that men could die to themselves, even to their own wisdom and prudence, and not lean on their own understanding, nor idolize their own apprehensions and conceivings, but rather wait to receive understanding from God, 
who gives liberally of the true wisdom to those that ask and wait aright. And how does God give true wisdom and understanding? Is it not by the shining of his light in the heart? Oh, that men were turned inwardly there, and were inwardly dead to that wisdom and prudence from which God forever hides things. He that will be truly wise must first become a fool, that he may be wise. He must not strive to learn in the comprehensive way of man's wisdom and prudence in the things of God's kingdom, but rather feel the begetting of life in his heart, and in that receive something of the new and heavenly understanding. He must die to his own understanding, and no more know the things of God after the flesh. He must become a babe, a fool, and so receive and bow to that which his own wisdom will call foolishness and will account weakness. But the other birth, which is begotten and born of God, will know and daily experience this to be the wisdom and power of God unto salvation. A few clarifications by way of question and answer. True knowledge and true experience, especially concerning necessary things, is of great concern to the soul, such as to know the true foundation, the cornerstone which God lays in his spiritual Zion, and the heavenly Jerusalem, which is the mother of all that are born of God, and to be gathered out of the spirit of this world, with its vanity and falsehood, into God's Spirit, which is truth and no lie, and the building up of the holy temple, in which God appears and is worshipped, and the heavenly communion with the Father and Son, in the one pure light which shines from them into the heart, and the one faith, the one circumcision, the one baptism, the one water of life, the one bread, the one cup of salvation, etc., now, the things of the kingdom are all at the disposal of the king. Therefore, whoever will understand aright must receive understanding from him, and whoever will repent aright must receive repentance from him, and whoever will believe aright must receive faith from him, and whoever will hear and see aright must receive an ear and eye from him. And whoever will come unto him and receive him must witness that new heart being formed in him, wherewith and whereby he is received. Men greatly mistake and err about the gospel knowledge and religion by beginning in it without the gospel spirit and power. Therefore, the man that desires not to be deceived and lose his soul forever, let him take heed how he begins, how he stands, and how he proceeds in his religion. The Jews stood in the revelation of God's spirit and power outwardly. The state of Christians, the new covenant state, stands in the revelation of God's spirit and power inwardly. For none can beget a new birth to God inwardly except his own spirit and power working inwardly in the heart. Therefore, you that desire to live with God forever and not perish from the presence and glory of his power, mind these three things. First, mind God's inward visiting you and making a real change in you. I do not mean a change in your mind from one notion to another, but a change in your heart from one nature and spirit to another.
This is the great work, which nothing but the mighty power of God, which raised Jesus from the dead, can effect in the hearts of the children of men. Now, that this may be wrought out in you, wait for the appearing and working of that power which does affect it daily more and more in those that unite to it and give up to its operations. Oh, wait to feel the power begetting something of its own nature in you, leavening you into its nature by the pure heavenly leaven wherewith God desires to leaven your heart. In this way, feel your beginning from the true root, from the holy seed, from the seed of the kingdom, and then wait to feel that seed grow up in you, so that even as the beginning is pure, so the growth may be pure also. For after God has visited you, and begotten something in you, and leavened you in some measure, so that there is true life, true sense, true hunger, true breathings, then, secondly, mind and wait to learn of the true teacher how to come to the true waters, that you may drink thereof, and of no dirty puddle of your own, or any other's forming. Now, lastly, after God has made his covenant with you, and spoken peace to you, and given you of the power, righteousness, and joy of the kingdom, and set the holy hedge of his power and wall of salvation about you, you must take heed of going forth after any lust, after any desire of the flesh, after any temptation of the enemy. You must keep within the holy limits, and touch not any dead or unclean thing, lest you be defiled, and so in degrees be separated from him who is pure. Question. Are the illuminating and sanctifying spirit one and the same spirit, or no? Answer. The spirit which illuminates and the spirit which sanctifies is one and the same spirit, and the illumination of the spirit is unto sanctification. The same light which discovers the darkness also chases away the darkness. According as this light is received and subjected to, so it purifies the mind. For the light not only has the property of enlightening, but also of cleansing and sanctifying. And the reason why men are not changed, justified, and sanctified in and by the light is because they do not love it, nor bring their hearts and deeds to it. Thus the light remains only their reprover and condemner, and not their justifier and sanctifier. Question. How does God write his law in the heart? Answer. By his spirit and power working there, whereby he both creates a new heart and writes the new law, even the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. It is written, The isles shall wait for his law. Whose law? The law of the Messiah, the law of grace, which gives dominion, the law of the anointing, the law of the new birth, the law of the holy seed. His seed remains in him, 1 John 3, 9. In that seed is the new nature, and the new law both. Now consider, what is the law of sin? What is the law of death? How is it written in the heart? How does the enemy write it there except by his corrupt spirit and nature? And does not God, by his holy spirit and nature, write the new law, the law of life, 
in the hearts of those that are renewed and made tender to the impressions of his holy quickening power. Every motion and drawing of his spirit is then a law to them who are born of the spirit and taught of God to see and walk after the quickening spirit. Question. What is the true gospel church? Answer. It is a company of true believers in the spirit and power of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a company of true Jews, inward Jews, Jews in spirit, of the true circumcision, whom the Father has sought out and made true inward worshipers. It is such as are gathered to the name and gathered together in the name of the Lord Jesus to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God through him. It is a company of living stones who have received life from him, the foundation stone, and who meet together to wait upon and worship the Father in the light and spirit which they have received from him. This is the Holy Church, or living assembly of the New Testament, and blessed are they that are of it. For they that are added by God's Spirit and power to his church, and abide in it, shall certainly be saved. Question. Which is the certain and infallible way to salvation? Answer. It is a new and living way. It is such a way as none but the living can walk in. It is a holy way which none but the cleansed, the ransomed, the redeemed of the Lord can set one step in. The way, the truth, the life are all one. Blessed are they that find it and walk in it. In plain and express terms, it is the Lord Jesus, the light of the Lord Jesus, the life of the Lord Jesus, the spirit of the Lord Jesus, the truth as it is in him, his wisdom, his power, he himself the covenant or holy limit between God and the soul. He that comes into him comes into the way. He that abides in him abides in the way. He that walks in him walks in the way. Question. How does Christ save the soul? Answer. By visiting inwardly, knocking inwardly, appearing inwardly, causing the light of life to shine inwardly, and so enlightening and quickening inwardly, breaking the strength of the enemy inwardly, and breaking out of the region and shadow of darkness inwardly, into the region and path of light. It is by the light and power of his spirit he begets a child of light. This child of light he brings out of Egypt, the dark land, out of Sodom, the filthy unclean land, out of Babylon, the land and city of confusion, and brings him into the light where he and his father dwell. And this child of light is not of the nature of darkness, but of light in the Lord, and he walks in the light as he is in the light. And by the further shining and working of the light and life in him, he preserves and saves him daily more and more. Question. What is regeneration or new birth? Answer. It is an inward change by the spirit and power of the living God into his own nature. It is a being begotten of his spirit 
born of his spirit, begotten into and born of the very nature of his spirit. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. John 3. It is a change which God, by the very same power wherewith he raised our Lord Jesus Christ from the grave, makes in the hearts of those whom he visits, who are sensible of, receive, and are subject to his inward life, light, and power. Question. What is true holiness? Answer. It is that holy nature and those holy actions which arise from the holy root. All else are but imitations of holiness and not the true holiness. The tree must be made good first, and then the fruit will also be good. There are many likenesses of true holiness throughout the world in several professions of religion, but there is no real holiness to be found, nor righteousness either, except in the trees of God's planting, in the branches which are engrafted by him into the true vine and olive tree, whose strength and virtue and holiness lies in the sap which they daily receive from him. Question. Which are greater, the works which Christ did outwardly on the bodies of men in the days of his flesh, or that which he does inwardly in men's minds and spirits by the powerful appearance and operation of his spirit? For Christ said that the works he did, those that believed on him should do, and greater also because he went to the Father. John fourteen twelve. Answer. Without question, to reach to the soul, and quicken the soul, and raise the soul out of the grave of death, and cure the blindness, deafness, hardness, and disease of the soul, is greater than the outward, and indeed, this was signified by the outward. Question. What is the yoke or cross of Christ? Answer. It is inward. For that which is to be crucified is chiefly inward. It is that gift of God, that light of his spirit, which is contrary to the darkness, contrary to all that is corrupt, which wills and wars against it, and being received, subjected to, and borne patiently. The cross takes away the life of the flesh, the will and wisdom of the flesh, and all the subtle reasonings and devices of the fleshly part. So it is that the flesh comes to languish and die, and God's plant within is eased of its burden. The soul, then, abiding under the cross, comes into the true, pure, and perfect liberty, where it has freedom unto holiness and righteousness, and yet is bound and chained from all liberty to the flesh and from all unholiness and unrighteousness of every kind. Question. How may a man make his calling and election sure? 2 Peter 1.10 Answer. By making the gift of God sure to him. That is, by making that seed sure to him in whom is the calling and election. For God's choice is of the seed, the holy seed, the inward seed, the seed of God's spirit, and of the creature as he is joined to the seed. God desires none to perish, but would have all come to the knowledge of Christ, the truth, who is the seed, in whom the election stands. And his holy advice to men is, 
to make their calling and election sure. So the way of making the calling and election sure is to make the gift sure, the seed sure, the leaven sure, the pearl sure, which God will never reject, nor any that are found in true union with it, and in the love and obedience of it. Therefore, as God visits with power, with his powerful gift, give up to the truth in the inward parts, come into it, dwell in it, that you may feel its virtue and delivering nature from every enslaving thing, and then stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ the Lord sets you free. Here you will experience your calling and your election day by day, and you will find them sealed and sure to you in that truth, in that heavenly light, in that holy seed, which came from God and is of him, and which he delights to own and will never reject. Question. What is true prayer? Answer. Prayer is the breathings which arise from the true birth, from the living sense which God gives to the true birth. There is a spirit of prayer and supplication given by God to his children to wrestle and prevail with him. All prayer that arises from and is given by that spirit is true prayer. All other prayer is not right and true, but is at best an imitation of the true. We know not what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Question. What is true repentance? Answer. It is the repentance which Christ gives, whom God has exalted to be the Prince and Savior, and to give repentance and forgiveness of sins. Acts 5.31 It is not in man's power to repent, for his heart is hard and impenitent. It is God's power which melts, tenderizes, and changes the heart. So there is a great difference between the sense and sorrow of man's nature and the sense and sorrow which God gives to the heart that he renews and changes. The one is of an earthly nature, the other of a heavenly nature. The one is like the early dew or morning cloud that soon passes away. The other is written in the new heart and abides. In true repentance there is a real sorrow and mourning over the corrupt nature and all the dead works of the flesh and a turning from them and meddling no more with them. This is the repentance which is the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Question. What is the true faith? Answer. The scripture speaks of a new creation in Christ. Indeed, all true believers are so, and they have the ability, the faculty, the power of believing that comes from him who creates them anew. There is that which is called faith in unregenerate men, but that is not the faith of which I am now speaking. I speak of that faith which is the gift of God to his own birth, to his own begotten. To you it is given not only to believe, etc. Philippians 1.29 Notice, it is given to believe. Oh, this holy gift, this faith of the new birth is the faith which pleases God, prevails with him, purifies the heart, gives access to God and interest in his power and promises, and victory over the worldly nature 
and over all the soul's enemies. Blessed be the Lord for bestowing and increasing this faith in the hearts of his children. Question. What is obedience? Answer. True obedience is that which flows from the true understanding of God's will and from the holy nature which he begets in the heart. It is the obedience which flows from a true sense, a true understanding, and a true faith. There is no birth that can believe aright except one, nor is there any birth that can obey aright except the one that believes aright. The true believing is from the quickening virtue of God's Spirit. All other faith is but dead faith. And the true obedience is in the newness of the Spirit. Romans 6, 4 and 7, 6. Man may strive to understand and obey all his days, but he can do neither, except as he is quickened, taught, and enabled of the Lord. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Psalm one nineteen thirty three. There is a mystical path of life, the way of wisdom, the way of holiness, the holy skill of obeying the truth, is hid from all living, from all mankind, except those who are begotten and brought up by him in the holy skill and mystery of subjection to the Lord. Your people shall be a willing people in the day of your power. It is the power of God that works the will in the heart, and the same power works to do also. No one can learn either to will or to do aright, except as they come to be acquainted with that power, are joined to that power, and feel that power working in them. And here, in the birth from above, true faith and obedience become as natural as unbelief and disobedience are to the birth of the flesh. Question. What are good works? Answer. Good works are those that flow from God's good spirit the works that are wrought in God. The works of the new birth, or the new creature, are good works, whereas all the works of the flesh are bad, though they be ever so finely painted. All its thoughts, imaginations, reasonings, willings, running, hunting to discover God and heavenly things, with all its sacrifices, all are corrupt and evil, having the bad leaven of the bad nature in them. Make the tree good, or its fruit can never be good. Therefore, good works are only those that flow from the good tree, from the good root. And here, all the works of the flesh, though ever so glorious and appealing to man's eye, are shut out by God's measure, by God's plumb line of righteousness and true judgment. And every work of God's Spirit, the smallest work of faith, the least labor of true love, the least shining of life in the heart, and the giving up thereto, is owned by God as coming from him and wrought in him, who works both to will and to do of his own good pleasure. He that is gathered to the light with which God has enlightened him, this one has received the light, dwells in the light, and walks in the light. The Spirit of the living God is near him, and dwells with him, and works in him, and brings his deeds to the light, where it is manifest that they are wrought in God. But he that is outside of the inward light of God's Holy Spirit, 
His works are not wrought in God, and though they can make a fair show in the flesh to the fleshly eye, they are not good in God's sight. The erring man's way and works are often right in his own eyes, but blessed is he whose way and works are good and right in the eye of the Lord, in the judgment of his searching, unerring light and spirit. Question. Which is the true love? Answer. The love which arises from the nature which God begets, and from his circumcising the heart from the other nature. Love is greatly commended and admired, and there are many pretenders to it. But none have the true love except those that are born of God and circumcised by him. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your seed to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6. Note, the true love arises from the true circumcision. And the more a man comes to have his heart circumcised from the fleshly nature, and to grow up in the pure and heavenly nature, the more he loves. God is love, and the nearer anyone comes to him, and the more he partakes of him, the more he becomes love in the Lord, and the more he is taught of God to love the Lord his God and his brethren in the Spirit, and all mankind who are of his blood. For of one blood God made all mankind, according to the flesh or according to a natural consideration. Question. What is the knowledge of the new covenant? Answer. It is the knowledge which is given by God to the new birth, for to it the new covenant belongs, and the knowledge of it. For the knowledge of the kingdom of God is given to the truly begotten of God, the true disciples of Christ, but to others it is not given. For in the case of the outward Jew, the first birth, the birth after the flesh, the priest's lips were to preserve knowledge, and man was to seek the law at his mouth. Under this covenant, God sent prophets to speak to them, and he taught them by his prophets. But concerning the inward Jews, the children of the new covenant, the children of the Jerusalem which is above, concerning her seed, it was prophesied that they should all be taught by the Lord." These all should hear and know the voice of the shepherd himself. They should all be gathered to the shepherd and bishop of the soul and be taught by him. So that in this new holy living covenant, God himself is the shepherd. God himself is the teacher, not only of the greatest, but also of the very least. Hebrews 8. These are taught to know the Lord and to know his Son, and to come to his Son, and to love their Father and one another. So the one that is taught of God, he has the true knowledge, the living knowledge, the substantial knowledge, the knowledge of the thing itself, of the life eternal itself. All that are not taught in this way, but learn only from a literal description and relation of things, have not the knowledge of the new covenant, the knowledge of the thing itself, but only an outward knowledge, such as the first birth may lay hold of and comprehend. Question. What is the fear of the new covenant? Answer. It is the fear which God puts in the hearts of his children, 
which cleanses their hearts and keeps them from departing from their God. There is a great deal of difference between the fear which may be learned from precepts from without and the fear which God puts in the hearts of his children from a root of life within. This fear is of a heavenly nature and is the free gift of God to his own heavenly birth and to no one else. For no man can possibly attain this fear by any thoughts or reasonings of his own, but only by the springing up of life from God. And he that would have this fear must know the place of wisdom and wait there for it. And when he has it, this fear will soon begin to make him wise towards salvation and teach him to depart from evil, which is the cause of destruction. Job 28.28 Question. What is the true hope? Answer. It is the stay of the mind upon the Lord, the stay of the heavenly birth upon its Father. Now, we must distinguish between hope and hope. There is the hope of the hypocrite, or false birth, which hope shall perish. And there is the hope of the true birth, which hope shall never fail, nor make ashamed, for this birth is taught of God to hope aright. Now, concerning hope, there is both the ground of it and the hope itself. The ground of the hope is God's love, God's truth, God's faithfulness, God's grace, His seed, His Christ felt within. There is the truth of being of Him, being united to Him, in Him, and He in me. This is the ground of my assurance of the everlasting glory and inheritance, which is sure to the seed, and to all that are of and in the seed. So knowing Christ within me, feeling Christ within me, living in Him and He in me, I have an anchor sure and steadfast within the veil, which no storms, tempests, trials, or temptations, present or to come, have power over. Then there is the hope, or hoping itself, that is, the staying of the mind upon the Lord, the leaning upon the Lord, the retiring beyond all thoughts or reasonings or looking out to the inward life, to feel something spring from it for the soul to hope or trust in beyond all outward appearance. This hope never deceives nor makes ashamed those who are taught of God thus to stay their minds upon Him. No, though the state be darkness and no light is seen, Yet beneath the darkness there is something to stay the mind of the child and servant of the Lord till he appear, and cause light to break out of obscurity. For light is sown for the righteous, and joy for the upright, even in their darkest, saddest, and most distressed conditions, in all of which the Lord is near, and there is still ground to hope in Him. Question. Which is the true joy? Answer. It is the joy which flows from God's presence and the work of His power in the heart and the assured expectation which He gives of the full inheritance and glory of life everlasting. When the bridegroom is present, when the soul is gathered home to Him, married to Him, in union with Him, in the holy living fellowship, then there is joy. Indeed, when He appears against the enemies of the soul, rising up against them, breaking and scattering them, and giving good things, filling with life, filling with love, filling with virtue, 
feasting the soul in the presence of the Father. Oh, what fullness of joy is there then in the heart! In your presence is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore, said the psalmist. Psalm 1611. Christ said to his disciples that because of his going away they should have sorrow, but he would see them again, and their hearts should rejoice, and their joy no man should take from them. John 16.22 How or when was this fulfilled? For what reason were they grieved? Was it not for the loss of his outward presence, which had been so sweet and comfortable to them? How could he come to them again? Was it not by the Comforter? Was it not by his inward and spiritual presence? So that he that was with them should now be in them. Before they knew Christ with them, now they should know Christ in them, and the Father in them, and they in him. This is Emmanuel, the gospel state, God with us, dwelling with us, tabernacling in us, living in us, walking in us, and we living and walking in him. When the apostles came to this state, then they came to witness the joy in the Holy Spirit, even the joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so it is that the gospel state is a state of joy and rejoicing in the Lord, even in his glorious living presence and in the glory of his power. For now the true light shines inwardly in the heart, and the life is manifested, and they that come into the manifestation of it come into the holy union the holy fellowship with the Father and Son, where the joy is, and where the joy is full. Question. What is the right poverty of spirit, and the true humility? Answer. True poverty of spirit and humility is that which springs from the same root from which the faith, love, peace, joy, and the other heavenly things arise, and it is of the same nature. Now, there is a voluntary humility and a voluntary poverty, even of spirit, which a man can cast himself into and form in himself by his own workings and reasonings. This is not the true, but rather a false image, a counterfeit of the true. But then there is a poverty which arises from God's emptying the creature, from God's stripping the creature, and there is a humility which arises from a new heart and nature. This is the right kind, and it is lasting, and remains even in the midst of the riches and glory of the kingdom. For just as Christ was poor in spirit before his Father, and lowly in heart in the midst of all the fullness which he received from him, so it is with those who are of the same birth and nature with Christ. They are filled with humility and clothed with humility, in the midst of all the graces and heavenly riches with which God fills them and adorns them. If they keep in the faith, keep in the truth, keep in the light and power, it excludes all boasting in or after the flesh and keeps the mind in true humility and poverty of spirit. And so the Lord of life is alone exalted, and the creature is kept abased before him and lo forever, and he is nothing except as the Lord is pleased to fill him. The Conclusion He that desires to witness, know, experience, and enjoy these things, 
must mind that seed in which they are all wrapped up and out from which they spring and shoot forth. The kingdom is in the seed, the throne in the seed, the power in the seed. And he that is united to the seed and abides in the seed receives power from the seed and overcomes. He shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Revelation 21.7 But he must not be fearful or unbelieving of overcoming sin or of his soul's enemies, but must depend upon the almighty and all-sufficient power of God. For the seed will give him victory over sin and teach him to touch no unclean thing, that he may be holy, as the Lord his God is holy. Truly, it is good for the heavenly children to partake of the divine life and heavenly nature of their Father and become like him.